If you have your uh, scriptures with you today, please open them to Colossians uh, chapter 3. And now hear uh, the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Those of you that know a little bit about the history of St. Augustine uh, will remember that he was um, known for his uh, philandering ways. He was a ladies' man, and so he had a lot of uh, sexual relations with women. He liked women a lot, and they liked him for who knows what reasons. We don't really know how attractive he was, but uh, in any case, uh, he had uh, many relationships and mistresses. And then, at some point, he got converted and became uh, a Christian. And the story is told that Augustine was walking down the street one day, and he ran into one of his mistresses coming the other way. And, uh, and he just kept going. He just passed her by like he didn't know her. And the woman called out to him and said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine said back to her, yes, but it is not I. And people have used this story over the years uh, to express the change, the transformation that had occurred in Augustine's life once he came to Jesus Christ. Now, 
if you've read any of his uh, confessions or any of the other literature that uh, is attributed to St. Augustine, you'll know that he continued to struggle, uh, but he lived a chaste life for the rest of his life. He lived celibate uh, even after uh, uh, this and his, and his other his dalliances of his past youth. Um, but his change was uh, pretty profound and transformational. And many of us, those of us that have come to Jesus, uh, we, can, we can repeat same stories. We can say, you know, I was like this before, now I'm like this. This was what I was like then, and now I'm like this. And yet, on the other side, on this side, we often say, gosh, you know, I wish I could change more. I want to change more. And human beings have always wanted change. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting change. In fact, if you look at people, they walk in front of a mirror, reflective glass. You know, we're always checking each other, checking ourselves out, see how I'm looking today. And we think, well, you know, I should change my hairdo. Uh, That's if you have any uh, hair to to change. Mine's going away pretty rapidly. Uh, I should change my look. I should change my... I should get more education or maybe I should quit school. You know, we go through all of these uh, cogitations in our mind of how we can improve or change our life. And this passage in Colossians is about that kind of profound change that I believe we are all uh, longing for. Last week we talked about uh, we're, we're getting ready to move. We're hopefully we're going to be in this building by July 1st. Uh, I, I, I feel like I want to say, ready or not, here we come, because we're going to go and we're going to try to be there uh, by July 1st, even if it's not quite completed, uh, because we don't want to be paying rent here at the synagogue and the mortgage over there at the same time. Uh, so we want to get there as quick as we can. Uh, but we need to review what our purpose is. What is the purpose? What is our vision? What is our mission? Why bother spending a million dollars on a building uh, if we're just going to go over there and you know, have a nice little fellowship time and all that stuff? That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to reach our city. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that. What is our purpose? Christ the King's purpose, I said last week, or two weeks ago, our heart's passion and greatest joy is to exalt the glorious majesty of Jesus Christ the King. This is from our website and the other literature that has to do with our church. By enjoying Him now and throughout the ages to come. What I told you the last time was is that Jesus Christ is the center of gravity for the life of the Christian and for the life of the church. Not a building. Not simple fellowship. Not just wanting to get together and have a good old time with each other. Well, all that's good. It's not a place to make connections and, and a community, although that's important. You've got to have community to have a church. But Jesus Christ has to be central. He's the, the center of our universe, and around Him we orbit, and everything we do revolves around Him. Our past, our present, and our future are all tied up with Him. And that's our purpose. That would presumably... That's what gives our lives meaning. And if anything else comes in and gives your life meaning to where if it was taken away, and you no longer had it, and you're devastated over that, then you can identify the idols in your life. Because idolatry is that thing which becomes an ultimate thing that if it's taken away, you're destroyed. But Jesus can never be taken away from you. Not because you're holding on to Him, but because He's holding on to you. He has us. 
And He's promised never to leave or forsake us. So He becomes the center of gravity for the life of the Christian. This week we're going to talk about what is the vision. Again, this is from our website and the other literature that our church has produced. Vision defined, the way I'm going to define vision is this way. What do we seek to accomplish? What is our desire as a church, the desired outcome of our being here in El Paso? Why even, what is church? Does El Paso really need another church? I mean, aren't there enough already? Say yes. There's enough already. You don't have to drive far in any direction. You run into a church. What distinguishes one church over another? Why do they need Christ the King? Why does El Paso and the Southwest need you and I? Why? So what do we seek to accomplish? A desired future outcome. We seek to bring the transforming power of the Gospel of Jesus and the good news of His Kingdom to El Paso, the Southwest, and wherever our influence uh, may extend. That's our desired outcome. We want to see this transforming power of the Gospel. Now some of you at Christ the King, I've talked to enough of you, I know that the transforming power of the Gospel has made an impact in your life that you no longer are the same. You're like Augustine. It's no longer I. I'm a different person. I can say that about myself. And I continue to change. I continue to transform. And I hope that you are as well. The most pathetic and sad thing in the world is a Christian that gets trapped in time and no longer is uh, growing. Growing not just getting better, but also becoming more broken, more repentant. Is your heart more broken today than it was yesterday? Are you more sensitive to your sins today than you were yesterday? Are you more aware of the things in your life that are both pleasing and not pleasing to God? Are you becoming closer to Him? Are you running to Jesus every day quicker and sooner and and holding back less and less? Are you moving towards Him What's going on in your life? That's how you know. Are you transforming? Not just getting better, more moral. Lots of people are more moral. You know what? There are plenty of people that are more moral than you. You know that? Lots of people that are more moral than you that are not even Christians. They're better people than you are. Better people than I am. So morality is not the goal, although it's important. It is not the goal. The goal is to get closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And He will transform you. He'll make you more moral. He'll also make you more broken and more aware of your sin, as was the case with St. Augustine. So what is involved in transformation? And this morning I'm going to look uh, with you at three things. And hopefully... Uh, we can get through them. Now, if we don't, I'm going to carry this over to a second week, but I'm going to try to get through uh, most of it today. And, and um, So here it is. Here's what we're going to do. What is involved in transformation? And I'm going to talk about first the radical love of regeneration. The radical love of regeneration or rebirth, new birth, being born again. Secondly, the radical love of gospel change. You can change any number of ways. You can change by making a New Year's resolution and sticking to it. And you can change. 
You can say, okay, this year I'm going to lose 20 pounds and you can lose 20 pounds. Uh, This year I'm going to give up chocolate and you can give up chocolate and may God have mercy on your soul. You know, I mean, you can change, but is it gospel change? There's a difference between change and gospel change. So we'll look at that secondly. And finally, we'll look at the radical love of Christ, our King. Okay? Regeneration, gospel change, and the radical love of Christ, our King. The radical uh, uh, love of regeneration or rebirth, you see this in verse 1 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul, look at it. He says, you have been, you have been raised. Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is verse 12, holy and dearly loved. These are powerful statements that the Apostle Paul makes about new identity, a new you. You're something new. You're a new creation in Christ. And according to the grammar and the language here, and in a dozen other places, which I'll show you in a minute, it has nothing to do with a choice or a decision that you make. It is something that God does a priori. That's a fancy word to say before you do anything. He raises you before He does anything. He chooses you before He does anything. He before you do anything. He predestines you to before He does anything. He elects you to salvation before you do anything. Now, by now, some of you are breaking out in hives. You're thinking, "Oh God, He's going to talk about election and predestination," and it's exactly what I'm going to do. And you're either going to like it or you're going to hate it. Nobody's neutral concerning election and predestination. You either like it or you hate it. You either think it's a great thing, a good thing, and you thank God that He elected you, otherwise you wouldn't be in here today, or you're going to say, that's not fair. And that's not, I should have free will. I should be able to do whatever I want. You know, I remember hearing that somewhere else. You all know where I've heard that? Huh? Where? The garden. Thank you. You get an A for today, Elder Borath. In the garden. I should be free. I mean, wouldn't God want me to have the fruit of this tree? Of course. And what's wrong with knowing the good and difference between good and evil? I mean, God knows that. I can be like Him. Do you see how Satan tempts us to despair? In other words, he tempts us and we end up in despair. No. God initiates. Listen, folks. He initiates transformation. Transformation is not something we initiate. Not gospel transformation. Gospel transformation, He initiates. And He does it through regeneration and rebirth. He breathes life into a dead man and brings you to life. And then, freely, you choose. With no coercion on His part. He does not make you choose Him. You choose Him because you want Him. Because for the first time in your life, you're free. Really free. And if you haven't experienced that, I beg you, come and see me after church and we'll talk about it. If you have not experienced that freedom of having the chains ripped from your life and new life poured into you, That's what this is. It is a rescue from death to life, not from just being sick, not from having a temperature and and, uh, and needing an aspirin. No, no. It's resuscitation from death to life. It's rebirth. It's resurrection. 
And if you don't see that, you have not understood the Gospel in your life. Regardless of how you think about election or predestination, folks, you can be on any side of that argument you want to be on, but you have got to know you were dead. And now you live. You have to know I was blind. But now I see. You have to be able to recognize what you were and what you are now. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. Do you see the center of gravity in the Apostle Paul's life? Do you see it? Augustine certainly would have had those words in his head, in his mind when he said to his mistress, former mistress, it is no longer I. No, Christ lives in me. There's a radical change in rebirth. So what does it mean to be chosen? I know this is difficult, folks. Look, even the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the standard for our denomination, the standards of theology for our denomination, the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us to tread lightly when we talk about election and predestination because it is so difficult, a doctrine, and it is, It is a difficult doctrine. But you can apprehend it and it can make a lot of difference for you. It can be the difference between light and dark for some people. In any case, listen to what it is to be chosen. Listen to these verses. I'm just going to read them, not try to comment too much. Acts 13, 48. Paul was preaching when the Gentiles heard that he was going to make the gospel, that God was making the gospel available to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Listen, when the Gentiles heard, they began rejoicing and glorifying in the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Do you see the a priori? Had been appointed, they believed. Okay, Acts 16, 14, talking about Lydia. Paul runs into this woman, Lydia. She's a merchant, a businesswoman. She owned her own corporation. She was the president of that corporation. Amazing woman. Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. A priori. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things Paul had spoken. Romans 8.29, what we call in theology the Ordo Salutis, one of several in Scripture, but this particular order order of salvation is one that all of us uh, Calvinists love. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Whom he predestined, he called. He whom he called, he justified. Who being justified, he glorified. Do you see the progression? Who he foreknew. And foreknowledge, folks, in the Bible is never foresight. Did you hear what I said? Never is foreknowledge foresight. Foresight is for witches and sorcerers and fortune tellers and is an abomination to God. Foresight. For knowledge is something altogether different and it means initiative and action on the part of the one that knew. In other words, to know Him, listen, 
to know him is to love him or to be known by him, listen, is to be loved by him. Can somebody say amen to that? To be known by him is to be loved by him. Not simply, oh, I know what's going on, like some sort of a fortune teller. No, if he knows you, he loves you. And if he loves you, he's got you. Now that's exciting, folks. Ephesians 1, 4, He chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, He made this choice. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, God has chosen you from the beginning unto salvation. 2 Timothy 1, 9, God saved us, called us with a holy calling. Listen, not according to our works, but according to His good purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ from all eternity. Romans 9, talking about Jacob and Esau. We love this one too. The twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad. They had not been done anything good or bad. The twins, Jacob and Esau. But so that God's purpose according to His election was sand, not of works, but because of him who calls. In other words, his selection or election of Jacob over Esau was not arbitrary. It wasn't just, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's plucking uh, the petals of a daisy going, I love him, I love him not, I love him, I love him not. Then he hits, I love him, okay, I love him, and not him. It's not capricious like that. It's not arbitrary like that. It's according to something else. It's according to his good purpose. He had a purpose in mind. It wasn't how Jacob was going to turn out. I mean, have you read your Bibles, folks? Do you know how this scoundrel turns out? He turns out to be a scoundrel. It's not how he's going to turn out that God looks down the tunnel of time, oh, Jacob's going to be a good guy, I'll choose him. He was a scoundrel. And God said, I choose him. And if that doesn't describe you and me, then I want to know why we're here this morning. I want one of you, I dare you. I want one of you to tell me why you're here this morning if you were not a scoundrel and destined to be one unless God had reached down into the dark part of your heart and brought you back to life. I want somebody to please tell me why you're here. Will you guys have good coffee and snacks? Now you're being honest. Because maybe that's why you're here. But I can tell you why I'm here. I was blind. Now I see. I was dead. Now I'm alive. And I don't want to be anywhere else but in the presence of God among His people. Amen? Don't you see that? If you see that, you have life in you. Why else would you waste a good, nice, beautiful Sunday morning? You could be out doing something else. But we come here because He's here, because we're here. 
And we're here because He's here. Wow. Okay. I'm going to quit reading the rest. Let me just read you a couple quotes real quick. Robert Murray McShane, one of the great saints of, of the church, no one ever came to Christ. Listen. No one ever came to Christ because they knew themselves to be of the elect. When I found out I was elect, I clicked my heels. I go, wow, how could he possibly have loved a scoundrel like me? I know why he loves Gary and, and Dave and, and Nathan and my Nathan over there. And I know why he loves uh, Stephen and I. I know why he loves Rick. I know why he loves Jeff. I know why he loves them because they're good people. They're normal people. They're fine people. But I don't know why he loves me because I know me. See, I don't know them as well as God does. But I know me. And so every day I think about it, I'm amazed why He ever would have looked at me with kindness. Why? And that's the way we're to live. In our trans- that transforms you. That changes the way you see yourself and hopefully the way you see others. You see, if He was willing to reach down into the filth and the mire and the dirt and the gutter of this world and lift up someone like me, then as you look and pan through the horizon of your life and the connections in your life and your neighborhoods and everywhere else, is there anybody that you say is not above, that is above salvation that can't be saved? Is there? Really, think about it. Anybody? Of course not. If you're honest, of course not. If he's willing to go down and get you, he'll go down and get anybody, right? Right? I know we kind of hold, well, I don't know. I'm actually pretty better than those people. I mean, look at the color of my skin. It's much better than that color. Yeah? I mean, look, I have all my teeth. I have 32 teeth in my mouth. That person only has three. God could not possibly love him as much as me. Right? Okay, uh, there's more. It is quite true that God has of His mere good pleasure elected some to everlasting life, but they never knew it until they came to Christ. Christ, listen, nowhere invites the elect to come to Him. The question for you is not am I one of the elect, but rather, am I one of the human race? Not am I elect, but am I of the human race? Because He offers to the human race the hand of fellowship and the free offer of the Gospel. All the human race. Now it's true only the elect come, and that's a whole other thing. But um, anyway... There's more. I can't really say more about it than that. Regeneration then, folks. If you were, if you were to say, what, what is the order of salvation for a Christian? How many of you would agree with this? Believe, and then you shall be saved. How many would agree? You know it's a trick question, so don't raise your hand. How many of you would say, first thing, reborn, rebirth, then believe, then repent. How many would say that? See? Ah, not too bad. The rest of you, what are you doing? Are you just sitting there looking at me? What? What's up? 
And I'm not going to commit. He's too tricky. He's the tricky pastor. We're not going to fall for that. So, we boldly declare without any reservation or hesitation that regeneration precedes faith. You don't believe and then you get born again. You get born again, then you believe. Then you repent. Then you follow Jesus. Something has to happen first. And when that thing happens first, when He raises you from the dead, then you believe. He doesn't believe for you. He doesn't make you believe. He doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't do any coercion whatsoever. He simply takes the the chains of sin from your heart, frees you, and the natural inclination, the free choice that anybody that has been freed from sin will make is for God. Yes? You'll choose Him. You'll do it all on your own. He won't, even have to, he won't even have to coerce you. By then, you're free. And forever, the rest of your life, you will be praising and singing His praises. Now, I can't really get into the, the last two. We just don't have time, and I don't want to do that to you this morning. But the second one and the third one are this, the radical love of gospel change. What happens after you're born again. And that's when you do have choices to make. That's when you do participate. The first one, the transformation of rebirth is something God does all on His own to you and for you. He graciously frees you so that you can then believe freely on your own. He doesn't make you. He doesn't make you choose. You choose Him freely, 100%. Okay, But once that happens, once that event of regeneration happens, then He calls you to this third part of the, of the, the, the whole process, which is follow me. What we call in theology sanctification. It's the, the, the moving, what I said earlier in the ser- sermon, here's, here's Christ and you're you're orbiting around Him. He's now the center of your life. And what you're trying to do is make those circles uh, of, of orbit, the concentricity of those circles, closer and closer. And so forever the rest of your life, you're moving towards Him, moving in closer and closer. Those are the inclinations of your heart. And what I'll do is we'll talk about it next week. And finally, the radical love of Christ our King. And I'll, I'll, I'll finish these up next week. How in the world can you and I really experience true change? And I would say a couple things about this, and then I'll close. Listen carefully. You cannot possibly um, experience gospel change in your life till you're willing to accept the change that God Himself made And we say God is unchangeable, yes? Do you all agree with that? That He's unchangeable, He's immutable? That's a theological category that we don't give up. But I would like to suggest that there is a certain kind of change that God underwent of His free choice, of His free will. And that choice was to become a human being like you and I. To make that choice, to move from heaven to to earth, to come down to this world of pain and suffering and degradation. And in so doing, in making that change, 
the Apostle Paul said, when you see this love of Christ, then change for you and I is not so daunting. Because Paul said this, listen, the love of Christ controls us, constrains us, controls us. Because, here's why. Because one died for all. One died for all. Therefore, all of us have died. He died for all. That those who live in Him might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. It's this simple. The day that that reality drops into your heart and mind, that Jesus left glory above the heavens of heaven. We can't even begin to imagine what life He had. And came here and took on weak flesh and lived in poverty and was an outsider, not an insider. Who was excluded, not included. Who was despised and rejected. Who was a broken man. A man who was acquainted with sorrow and grief. A man who knew what it was like to go without a meal. A man who knew what it was like to be depressed and to suffer the vagaries of depression and heartache to the point where when he was in that state, he would sweat blood and pour out his heart to God. Why are you forsaking me? He knew what it was like to be forsaken. He knew what it was like to be abandoned. He knew it better than anyone in this room and better than all the population of this planet. He knew it integrally into his very bones. He knew what it was like to be like us. And he still came, died for us. And when that becomes a reality in your life, you cannot not change. You cannot not change. Change will be something you're striving for, something you're embracing, something you want. You want to be Closer to Him. Not just more moral. Morality will get you nowhere. Hell is filled with moral people. It's not merely morality. What you want is to get closer to Jesus. Why? Because He gave Himself for you. Why wouldn't you want Him? Why not? Will you believe it? The Gospel, Tim Keller says this, the Gospel is not that we give a good record to God and then He blesses us. But that God in Jesus gives us a perfect record and delights in us in Him and out of the freeness of that we live for Him. Will you trust Him? I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, We strive to change and we long to change and be closer to you every day. And I pray that as we think about our lives and how we came to know you, even if if we were looking for you all our lives and then one day we find you, it is because you had first pursued us and found us that we were even looking. And we're so grateful for that. I don't know how we could ever get around the fact that you are the pursuer, the lover, the wooer. And that if we could, we would leave you behind. 
but your love has compelled us and moved us to where we cannot help but love you back. And I pray, Father, that you would make a change, a transformation in the people of Christ the King to such an extent that that people will recognize in El Paso, Texas, the difference between the gospel change in this church, lives in this church, people in this church, and what we have to offer our community and why it needs us. Please help us to do that, Father. Grant us the grace, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.